Hello everyone and welcome back to The Geek Wave. This is the low budget show. It's the show so low it has no budget. Because unlike some of the filmmakers out there, we do not have like a name that is a legacy name so the nepotism gets us our job. And then we actually make some really good movies and we have our own career separate of our father. That's not the case of The Geek Wave. But that is the case of the person we're talking about in The Geek Wave. I am joking, of course. I love Sofia Coppola. She's one of my favorite filmmakers. And doing the rewatch for this entire video was just so much fun. And I don't want to talk ill of her. So I'm sorry I made a joke. You're not a nepotism baby, but you are kind of a nepotism baby because your dad is Francis Ford Coppola. So that's always going to come up no matter what. But at the same time, let's not dwell on it. We don't have to dwell on anything. We are going to talk a little bit about Priscilla because a new trailer did come out. And I think we'll kind of save that until uh you know when we're talking about her like you know filmography talk a little bit about it maybe i should have saved that this video even until uh priscilla came out but what's the point we'll talk about it later uh she's a great filmmaker and i love her but we do have a little bit of news to talk about the time of this recording is the day before i go on vacation And when I go on vacation, this will be out and I'll still be on vacation. So there's going to be some news that is old. There's going to be some news that might be, you know, irrelevant by the time this episode goes out. So bear with me. We're just going to be talking about a couple of trailers, some DC Universe stuff. But before all of that, there's one piece of news I didn't cover last week that I wanted to cover this week. And that is that Universal's like, what if we uh, abandoned the rights to Halloween? I think it's A24 and Universal that share some part of the rights. And now they're like, well, we kind of made our trilogy, so we don't really need to do anything with them again. Which is just bizarre. So the Halloween rights are up in the air again. They're looking to be sold off. I have no idea why they'd want to sell off the rights to Halloween, because you can do a lot of stuff with that. You know, there's a whole brand in there you could play with. I didn't really love Halloween Ends. I am more like impressed with like a filmmaker doing that big of a swing for an audience that might not want to see that big of a swing. So it just didn't like, you know, stick the landing in that aspect, but we really need to sell them off again. I think that's like a really bad idea considering the success we have seen with Scream, like, you know, getting its longevity and Exorcist is coming out the week that this video goes out, not getting good reviews, but hey, We're still doing an exorcist, which is very much in the style of the Halloween stuff, which is kind of interesting. So I don't know. I mean, what's John Carpenter up to? Maybe he has something he wants to say again in the Halloween world. Wouldn't that be sick? I know John Carpenter will probably never make another movie because why would he? What he's, he's good. You know, he's good. He doesn't have to do anything ever, but I would like to see him just, you know, 77 year old man just like fuck it i got one more in me here's the most insane thing you could ever possibly imagine and he does that i would be very impressed with that i would love it so much i doubt if it'll ever happen but who who cares so if anyone's got enough money and wants to buy the halloween rights it's there for you to get so get well the getting's good it's probably real good it's probably real damn good Now, we do have a couple of trailers to talk about. The first one is from the twisted mind of Matthew Vaughn. When I think Matthew Vaughn films, I think twisted mind. The guy is just so twisted. 
you know, he's so edgy and dark, and I don't, I, uh, fine, if that's what you want to say about him, fine, I don't care, but his new film, Argyle, got a trailer, this was toted as the Henry Cavill, Dua Lipa-led spy thriller, you know, kind of in the vein of your Gray Man, or Red Notice, or Ghosted, movies that don't look real and have nothing to really say, and I, I, I guess I like Matthew Vaughn for the most part. I'm trying to think if like I actively dislike his work. Kingsman, it it loses its value the more you think about it, which is how I feel about this trailer. It's not a good trailer. I, I think it's a really bad trailer that has things I wish were better in it. So the the tease, or not even the tease, but like Henry Cavill and Dua Lipa aren't real. And they're like characters in a book or is that all fake and they're actually real or like Bryce Dallas Howard's like a writer who kind of gets like too close to the truth in writing her spy novel. And then Sam Rockwell's like, you have to come with me and tell me how like the world's going to end or something, which makes no sense. And I, I, I can't really buy that. I do really enjoy Bryce Dallas Howard trying something new. Like it's kind of cool that she's getting to do something this this different where she could potentially like lead something but my god does the rest of it just look so boring it's like yeah okay here's Cranston and Jackson I'm like I don't really care that they're here Henry Cavill I I I still don't know if I think he's a good actor or if everyone's just convinced me he's a good actor you know I I have yet to be convinced that he's good I don't know and Dua Lipa so much untapped potential she's pretty so sure She's got a decent haircut and, and Cavill doesn't. But yeah, I don't know. Just like Sam Rockwell, like fighting a couple of guys and making a joke. I've seen this a billion times. You can really tell which scenes are like CG green screened and it just looks tacky. But Bryce Dallas Howard is somebody I, I want to succeed in this industry. If she has to play ball on a couple things like this, hey, do it. Then maybe you can like direct a big budgeted movie, which is what you clearly want to do. Let's get you out of the Star Wars umbrella or like direct a Star Wars movie. She's part of the crew, so maybe she'll direct a Star Wars movie. I don't know. But my God, it just this just felt so generic and it's getting like a limited theatrical release. So I guess it's kind of above like Ghosted and Red Notice, but sure as hell doesn't feel like it. Sure as hell doesn't feel like it. I'm tempted not to watch it. But because it is going to theaters, I do feel more compelled to check it out as opposed to the other movies I just talked about. So who gives a shit? It doesn't look that good. I don't know. Why does this genre keep happening? What is going on? Like, are these the only, like, action movies we can make now that's not IP related? Just absolute dreck? I don't know. I don't know. I don't understand. It's annoying. And I'll be glad when it's done. Now on to something that is kind of exciting and something that I genuinely wasn't expecting to be like, oh, this is kind of cool. Eli Roth made a movie called Thanksgiving. It is a pastiche of Halloween, except it's Thanksgiving and it stars Addison Rae, everyone's favorite actress, and Patrick Dempsey's in it. So there you go. I have two thoughts about this trailer that it just made me go, huh, okay. The first one is, you really wanted to set up Addison Ray in this movie, but I don't think she's in the trailer too much. Maybe she is, and I don't know what she actually looks like. 
And I don't know if like the main girl was her or if she was the friend. I don't know. I don't know. And the second thing I thought was, didn't Eli Roth direct a Borderlands movie recently? Did he like direct and get this Thanksgiving horror movie completed and in theaters before the Borderlands movie? Did he do all that before or after Borderlands? I know Borderlands is like in hell right now, but it's very interesting that he was able to, okay, I made the Borderlands thing. Post is going to get fucked up on that. So I'm going to make my Halloween pastiche and that's going to come out before it. And that's kind of cool. Like mad props of that. This is a slasher named John Carver, if I'm not mistaken. I only know that because I saw the action figure revealed at Toy Fair and I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. It's kind of like, you know, John Carpentery, I guess. I don't know. And he wears like a dumb mask and whatever. It, it could be fun. What I think makes this work is that Roth knows this is not to be taken seriously. And because of that, he is willing to have more fun of the concept. And I dig that. When he's having fun, I'm having fun. So I appreciate the attempts of having fun here. That works really well and makes for something a little different. I appreciate that. So I think this is going to be an interesting one. I hope it's good. Not that I need it to be like great or anything, because I, I genuinely don't think it's going to be great. But, you know, Exorcist Believer's not doing good. Five Nights at Freddy's is like the only movie coming out around Halloween that works. So like immediately following it with Thanksgiving, could work. Something about that could stick the landing. So I hope it does. I think that would be a really cool thing to see happen. And our final piece of news to talk about is kind of interesting. I just kind of like wanted to recap some of the stuff that was being said about the DCU. Of course, there's just more stuff happening every day. Now that like the writer strike's kind of over, James Gunn is talking more about some things. So we haven't seen anything set in the DCU yet. That is like a confirmation. And we won't see that until Creature Commandos, so whatever Aquaman is, it don't matter. That makes me think that Momoa's going to be Lobo. Okay, Creature Commandos, the first thing we see in that universe, the first movie, is going to be Superman Legacy. Some actors from the previous generation are going to be reprising their roles, but it is going to be set in a different continuity, which is a really bad idea and very confusing to everybody out there that has no idea what's going on but at the same time who gives a shit i don't anymore like john cena's returning freddie storma is continuing and viola davis are continuing those are the people from like the peacemaker suicide squad universe they're gonna be back of course they are like yeah vigilante peacemaker amanda waller of course easy peasy why would you get rid of any of those people Zolo Menadonia is also going to be reprising his role as Jaime, apparently, which, yeah, I mean, let the kid have a shot to do something good there. Not saying that the Blue Beetle movie is in continuity, so who gives a shit? Like, and, and Gunn's like, yeah, season two of Peacemaker will be in the DCU, but if you want my humble opinion, just retitle it to something else. I know that there's kind of like some shit going around. Maybe don't just retitle something. So you like have to reset like the residual rules. But my goodness. Is that confusing or does anybody give a shit? I genuinely don't know anymore. And I I feel like this just doesn't matter. 
And that kind of sucks where I just don't feel the hype or the interest growing. And I get that. Like, I can't pretend I care. And that's fine. I want to see Creature Commandos. I want to see Superman Legacy. But at the same time, I'm just like, yeah, I would much rather see like Yorgo Lanthimos's Poor Things in different formats, you know, just like that type of movie as opposed to let's do an authority. I don't know. It's all getting too much. I don't know what the breaking point is going to be for people. It might be Joker 2 where it's like, okay. We get it, you're artsy, you're a musical, we don't care. That might be the breaking point where people suddenly start to turn on these franchises. Maybe. I I, I just, it's, it's too much. It's too much, and I don't know how much longer it's going to work. I don't know. It's crazy. It really is crazy. But we'll see what happens. Maybe it'll be good. And as I say this, I'm checking my phone. There are some Fraggle Rock figures I'm going to pre-order. Okay, that does not matter. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, let's talk about Sofia Coppola. All right, Sofia Coppola, let's do it. This is the first female director I am covering on this channel, which is kind of insane. It does kind of feel good that I'm like, yeah, finally, like, I can talk about one. And and is Sophia the most prominent female director in Hollywood right now? I'm trying to think. Maybe Jane Campion is up there, Catherine Bigelow, but she's kind of been out of the game for a minute. I'm just, like, trying to think of, like, I guess Greta Gerwig's the new name that might be, like, the big one. I guess that would be it. I, I like, because, like, I don't know. Is there another one? It's crazy, but yeah, Sofia Coppola, a, a woman born into films practically when she was a baby. She was in The Godfathers, and you're like, yeah, okay. Her legacy is movies. She was born, bred, and created to become a filmmaker in herself, and she's great. She's got such a distinctive voice in this industry, and it's very compelling to see like the types of movies she makes, where she kind of like creates her own voice, doesn't get trapped in a specific style but is very creative, very fluid, but you get what she's up to. I think that's really cool. I do like a lot of her stuff. I, I, I hesitate to say she's made a bad movie. I don't think she's made anything I've disliked. And I was re-watching all the movies to get excited for Priscilla, which does come out next month. Maybe I should have timed it better to talk about Priscilla, but it's more interesting if we talk about it now. So a new trailer dropped a couple days before this video is being recorded. And I just, I loved it so much. Like I am just so interested to see what that movie is going to be because it could go into multiple directions, but it definitely feels like this is so up her alley taking like this almost misunderstood young woman who is like obs like becomes like the obsession of the modern world and suddenly everybody's trying to say they know her image but they don't really tell that specific story it's very Marie Antoinette that way and I appreciate that which is we'll get we'll get into it later as we go through this video is probably my favorite of her movies thus far maybe it's going to be Priscilla but Kaylee Spenny is, or Spaney, 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 and I'm not sure how you say her last name. This young woman 
who I am not familiar with her work at all. She's very young. She is playing Priscilla. And she won one of the awards. What one does she win? Uh, yeah, I, was, I think she won like Best Actress at like the Venice Film Festival. And you're like, oh shit, nobody was really putting her into like Oscar consideration. But now I think you have to, which is really exciting. And like seeing her in, in both the trailers for this movie, it's really impressive. And, and she's playing the innocence so well, where you just feel something bad is about to happen. And that's really cool. And Jacob Elordi, my goodness, you want to talk about like the exact contrast to everything Austin Butler did? It's amazing. It's kind of cool that Austin Butler spent like years of his life perfecting and dedicating what it means to be Elvis. And then Jacob Elordi just shows up and says, oh, he's a creepy freak. He's like a tall, weird guy that like wants this woman to be like his little doll. Oh, yeah, I could do that in my sleep. I was I was literally created for Euthoria to do that. And that's what he's doing. And I'm like, yeah, okay. I, I literally cannot disagree with that. That's pretty cool. It's pretty cool, I gotta say. That movie looks insane. I cannot wait to talk about it. I cannot wait to watch it. It might be one of the last movies that's coming out this year that I could see cracking my top 10. Uh, there's a couple. I think Killers of the Flower Moon will do it. Poor Things will do it. And maybe Priscilla is the other one. I, I can't imagine anything else coming out this year that might crack my top 10. But those all look great. This one looks great too. My goodness, it's awesome. And Sofia Coppola, re-watching these movies, I picked up on a couple of key things with her as a filmmaker that I think are really interesting to talk about. One of the major ones to me, literally from even like her first short film, Lick the Star, just to like the films she starts to make. She is really good at dealing with young actors and giving them material that feels young. It feels like these are young people talking like young people in every era, like from the 90s to the 2000s, to the 2010s. I feel like she is capturing like this specific energy of young people and teens that is hard to do. And maybe a lot of that has to do with like she was a young filmmaker. She was in her 20s when she made her first movie. Maybe that has to do with it. I don't know. But it is it's just really exciting to see. So let's get into it. She does have a writing credit on another movie that she didn't do anything with, but we're looking at her as a writer and director, mainly as a director, and that starts with her short film, Lick the Star. If you haven't seen the short film, it's from 1998, and it's just available on YouTube. That's where I watched it. I just kind of wanted to get a sense of her vibe. It's very interesting. You, you do feel like, oh, this is where the Virgin Suicides is going to start to play from. And it's a really fantastic, just like short piece of work where you're like, this is somebody who clearly wants to talk about high schoolers, clearly wants to talk about how like, you know, the Valley Girl Californication style, none of this really has any meaning to it. And it's a fun little watch. It's very much just, you know, Queen Bee of the school is kind of like deranged and wants to do something dangerous and her friends are like, you're crazy it's very interesting and very invocative of like that era of movies, kind of like the mean girls, which comes later, the clueless era where here are these kids doing this weird shit. It's really exciting. But her first feature is in 1999 with a little film called the Virgin suicides. And I have talked about the show on the channel already. That video did significantly better than I thought it would just for like how distinctive that is. I'm trying to think of of all the filmmakers I've covered, 
who has had like a better first outing as a filmmaker. I, I think it's kind of like when we talked about George Miller and he made like Mad Max. This is just like, here is a young woman talking about like the harboring of like parental control over young people trying to explore their sexuality, trying to feel something. This like small town gossip, the suburbs always controlling you and knowing every little bit about your life, keeping up with the Joneses and just having it be like this beautiful pale like just so starkly calm destructive story it's so cool like it looks so good and you just love all these young actors so much the two breakouts for me of course we're going to talk about Kirsten Dunst a lot in this because you're going to see I'll give you my ranking towards the end but I'll just tell you now, the ones of Kirsten Dunst, I think, are my favorite of all of Coppola's work. Like, she knows, like, Dunst and Coppola is such a good team. They know how to work together so well. You know, how to, like, Sophia knows how to utilize Kirsten so perfectly, and it's, it's fantastic. And it's so cool to see that. And then, I really like Josh Hartnett in this movie, where he just shows up, is like the cool guy, and he just, like, falls in love, and he's like, oh, shit, I, I really messed up. And just, like... Another thing, too, which it's so bizarre this to see from Sophia is, like, she's really good at, like, communicating, like, the despair of a man. It, it's so specific, like, how she portrays this man of, like, is tired of it all, is kind of, like, over the hill and not trying to do things. But even just, like, a young guy, just like, yeah, this is how they talk, this is how they feel. The Virgin Suicide is so good. If you haven't seen this movie, it, it's going to shake you in a bunch of different ways you're like wow look at the beauty and the darkness that is hiding under it look at how like these young men just like get implanted in this idea of what the, like this woman in their life is it's so powerful it's such a strong movie i just love it so much and then in a 2003 we move over to what is arguably her most successful film i feel like this is the one people talk about the most lost in translation now on this rewatch, I this is the one I think I struggled with the most. Just some of the elements that I... Not that they don't hold up in 2023, but they don't. They, they, like, 20 years removed, not much of that movie, like, connects with me. And I think there's some good stuff in it. It's just really pleasant, and it's one of the most tolerable Bill Murray performances. Now... I'm not a Bill Murray guy. I think I've said this numerous times before. I'm not really a Bill Murray guy. But he is serviceable in this movie because he's playing tired, which I feel like he is at this point. He looks exhausted. He is saddened. And like this young, vibrant woman pays attention to him, gives him life. And I feel like that's very accurate to who Bill Murray was as a person. Just like when somebody gives him attention, he's happy, you know? That feels very... in in character for him and it's so interesting to see like Scarlett Johansson at this point she is a freaking child in this movie and then you just see like the the machinations of like what her career could have been if she didn't get trapped in like certain choices that she made like seven years later when she's like 26 like it's crazy how young she is and there is something to like the movie about like two souls connecting with each other and wandering through a world that neither of them can really call their own. But the stuff that doesn't really work is just like the kiss at the end 
which I don't like. I think it's better when it's like the awkward kiss in the elevator, but having him like run through the streets of Tokyo to find her at the end, that loses all like narrative flow to me where it's like, no, these are just two people who there is that instantaneous spark in that connection, but we don't need to see that, you know, but I, I, I hate that they do that. I really do hate that they get together and do that weird moment. They don't like end up together, but I still don't think it works when they like kiss at the end. I don't like that at all. Now coming off of those two smaller movies, we move to 2006 where we get the big period piece, Marie Antoinette, which is, in my humble opinion, her best movie. I freaking love this movie to no end. This was so incredible and perfect and insane. And I just love the the chemistry between Kirsten Dunst and Jason Schwartzman. Like, it is so insane how good this looked. Because this is the other thing that I just really like about this movie. How, like, modern it feels. And it's just so, like, so specific in what it's doing. It captures this thing that I think is so true to young people which is just this feeling of you're young, you're with your friends, nothing else in the world matters. And then suddenly you just find yourself like sitting in a field somewhere and just like thinking about the world and your life and everything. It captures that so well. Kirsten Dunst just rocks in this movie. She is so like good at playing the innocent and then the powerful and then just like this woman who knows her position, knows what is expected of her, but can never fully commit to that. I think a lot of that does come from Jason Schwartzman doing that specific thing too. And he's cousins to Sophia too. Like he's young in this too. And and just, it's just such well paced and the costumes are so elaborate and the design, like, oh my goodness, the buildings they're in and the set pieces and the production, it is extravagant on a high level. And I think it's like, it's under 50 million, right? I think it's like a 40 something million dollar budget. And you're just looking at this thing with these high ceilings. Everyone's got big hair and colorful outfits. You're just watching something spectacular. And and it's like, you, you see that Sophia doesn't always go back to the period piece well. She's very contemporary talking about modern stuff. But when she does, she manages to like pinpoint a specific thing that is these young woman it's these young women who have this kind of expectation of their sexuality and how you can like get lost in it, get distracted by it, find like things in there that don't work for you. It's very fascinating to see that. I, I love it so much. This movie is just so bombastic and loud and it's just young people running amok, which eventually leads to their demise. And you just see like the perfect way that is positioned with like this young woman who's 14 when she becomes like, the prince well, she become queen she be, eventually becomes the queen but she's like 14 when she meets oh what's the fucking name of the of uh schwarzman in it is he uh i don't care he's queen marie and who does she marry again one of the one of, one of those guys you know everyone like there's so many kings in that era and they're all kind of just lame he's louis king louis yeah and then they they both die in the revolution and it's just great and like the contemporary music is fantastic the contemporary filmmaking is fantastic my god just a masterpiece that i want to see more movies like that it is pseudo bridgerton without like the you know of it all i'm gonna be you know a little bit tongue-in-cheek what if like there was some sincerity to it 
and it's just beautiful and it's big and it's loud and not everybody loves it so it does fine financially and then you just kind of see Sophia revert back to like a very specific type of film for her which happens to be 2010s somewhere which is one of the ones I didn't originally see from her this is the Stephen Dorff L. Fanning led movie and watching this I think it's really good. Like, it's such a fascinating use of this character. It definitely feels like this is Sophia talking about Hollywood, where she knows this single father trying to raise a kid while his job takes center stage. Is Maybe it's like, when was she divorced from Spike Jones? right? They divorced in 2003, and she marries Thomas Mars after the release of Somewhere. I wonder if this is her talking about like Spike Jones like trying to be like the father. Did they did they have kids? Like I can't remember if they had kids. But you're just like, yeah, like this is like a guy who's trying and Steven Dorf, not an actor I think a lot of young people care about or like in any capacity. But he is phenomenal in this movie. He carries it well because he seems like one of those guys who should have been bigger than he is and he isn't bigger than what he is and You appreciate it so well. I think where this movie fully snaps into what it's trying to be is when he has to take care of Elle Fanning. When Elle Fanning shows up, suddenly this is just like, oh, this is a father who wants to perceive his life as a certain way, has always perceived his life as a certain way. And now that his daughter's in his life, he wants to try to like behave differently, which is phenomenal. And it is so fun to see that. And Elle Fanning, again, this is the thing that's very like apparent when it comes to Sophia's work is she knows how to talk to like young actors. She knows how to work with young characters, with young people. And Elle Fanning becomes kind of not a regular for her, but somebody that appears in some of her other movies. And it just works well. Like they, they play off each other. They have a great balance together. It is a very fun, fantastical, cool thing to see. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. This this is a good movie. Again, none of these are misses, and I don't even think any of them are misses. Lost in Translation is just a movie that is not for me, but none of her movies are misses in my opinion, which is the case with 2013's The Bling Ring, which is such a specific movie. Again, very much of that California lifestyle which she is very accustomed to. This is like the opposite thing of the virgin suicides where it's like, look how depressing suburbia is. This is like, look at these California elitist kids that think they're special and they go on a crime spree. This is based on a true story. Yes, the virgin suicides was based on a book and, and you know, Marie Antoinette is like a real person, but the bling ring is based on a true story about a Vanity Fair article called The Suspects Wore Louis Batons. Louis Batons? Is that, I don't know. And it's like, these are young kids who break into rich people's houses and just steal their stuff and think they're valuable and cool. And there's something so like inherently like 2000s about that, where it's like, it's like an internet adjacent movie and just like finding people on maps and shit. And just like, it's suddenly, suddenly becoming that like that young millennial, like elitist, you know, like that entitlement where it's like, yeah, we we don't really give a shit about the rules. Nothing really matters to us. But it is such this really interesting portrayal of these characters. In particular, I think like the name everybody is familiar with will be 
Emma Watson. Now, she's not the lead of the movie. She is certainly like one of the main characters. And her specific accent, the valley girl thing, just the way she talks and appears, it is just so specific and so of the era. It works so well. And it's just like this beautiful, quiet movie about these kids just coming together and being dicks and terrible people. And it's like, it's insane. Like, it's so insane. It's so cool. It's one of those surprising movies where, like, I understand how this, how this doesn't, like, work for everybody, you know, but there's something so interesting about it, and it just looks so great, and and the the costumes are great, and I, I believe they actually filmed, like, the Paris Hilton stuff in Paris Hilton's home, which is so bizarre, where, like, people actually broke in there and stole stuff and now they're filming the movie just a couple years later where they filmed the stuff they stole like that is so bizarre and cool but that's the power of Sofia Coppola now the other thing about this too is not not a lot of these movies are very long she sticks very close to like a 90 minute mark I think the the longest one is Marie Antoinette that's the only one that's over two hours she like stays under two hours for the majority of her work and like that works so well I don't need the bling ring to be two hours and 10 minutes you know what I mean like let's get in in and get out and we'll tell that story as quickly and easily as possible a very fun movie but then in 2017 2017 everyone we get this little film that is a reboot of a classic Clint Eastwood movie called The Beguiled. And and this is Sophia going back to a period piece. And it stars Elle Fanning, a collaborator. Kirsten Dunst, a collaborator that is so fantastic. And newcomers to the Sophia world, which perfectly work for her world. Nicole Kidman a great person to put in a Sofia Coppola movie, and Colin Farrell. Now, this movie, (laughs) it was one that when it came out, I was in college and I wasn't really like thinking about it too much. I was like, I wasn't the person I am today for this movie to have some impact on me, but my God, on this rewatch, I was blown away. Like, I just sat there, just my jaw on the floor like look at the pacing and the intensity of this and like the subtle pseudo-sexual tension that nobody wants to talk about and how everyone's just kind of on board with this Colin Farrell is a soldier in the Civil War who gets hurt he's kind of like fleeing a scene he stumbles upon a young girl and she takes him back to her school where there's two teachers Nicole Kidman and Kirsten Dunst and a bunch of young female students and Elle Fanning wants to hook up and it's just this tension of three mature enough women of age trying not to admit they find him hot and him trying not to admit that he would rather stay here hidden with these girls and have a decent life. And then when shit hits the fan and things get a little intense, you're just like, wow, this is a shakeup. This is a different thing happening. What are we doing now? Why is everything falling apart? But my God, does it fall apart spectacularly? Uh, it's insane. It's such a good movie, and the pacing is so quiet. The writing is so sharp. Sophia is really good at period pieces. I like that she's going back to this now a little bit. It's so creepy and cool. 
just a great movie. And you, you just like, I can't believe we're doing this. I want more horniness in movies. Every actor is just committing to the bit. And like, I just love Kirsten Dunst in this movie, not to spoil everything that happens, but there's that, there's like an incident that takes place and Colin Farrell's kind of like in a bad place. And she just like, it's like, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind and just like storms away from the other ladies, goes into a room with him quietly and just lets them like have so much fucking hot sex like it is so crazy the sex that they have and you're like this is so brutal and intense and like vulgar and primitive but i'm just so excited for it yes and you're just like yeah i can't believe how much i'm loving these insane people just kissing and having a good time i love it i I love it i do love it immensely and then in the year of our lord 2020 no longer can Sofia Coppola get a movie in theaters. She has to go to Apple TV when they were trying to do original content. Which, you know what? I, I think Apple is the best place for Sofia. Like, that works for her. She makes this film called On the Rocks. Now, this was one I remember watching it the day it came out. And I was like, you know what? This isn't too bad. I'm not going to say it's perfect. But it's okay. You know? It's an old Bill Murray who is, you know, over the hill at this point. I don't really care for it, but Rashida Jones, another one of those actors where you're like, yeah, that is such a great idea for a Sofia Coppola movie. Put her in a Sofia Coppola movie, and that's fantastic. I love Rashida Jones. I think she's great in almost everything, and she has hardly, like, found, like, the perfect place for her to go. It's a story about this woman who thinks her husband is cheating on her and her fa- her like a strange father tries to like help her find out if he is or not. It's a little more gimmicky than some of like the other Sophia movies, but it's kind of like a digestible old Bill Murray where you're like, yeah, if you're going to do something with him, let's play up that the Bill Murray let's play up that the Bill Murray archetype is kind of shitty and that like He's finally getting his comeuppance as like a 70-something-year-old man. I think that works well in this movie. And which one of the Waynes is in it? Marlon Waynes is in it, and he's pretty good. He does okay. It's kind of fun. It does feel, I guess, like the most, like, New York. Does this one even take place in New York? I I don't know. I don't know where the movie takes place, but a lot of Sophia's movies feel very, like, California, L.A., lifestyle, Beverly Hills. This one feels... A little bit more like East Coast, just a little bit more like everyone's kind of cold, everyone's kind of distant, there's no like deepness to it, and it's just really interesting. I think I like it more than a lot of people, just because Rosita Jones is good, and again, I could never connect to a young Bill Murray, so if we're going to do like a movie where we show like his faults as like a grown man or, or bad, I can respond well to that. <laughs> Now, she has a couple other credits that we don't really need to dive into. Like, she directed, like, A Very Murray Christmas. It was, like, that special that came to Netflix, I think. It was Netflix or whatever. It, it's bad. I don't care. She did a couple music videos, too. Not that it really matters. She just did them. Advertisements. Not that it matters. She just did them. She's kind of an actress. You know, like, she appeared in movies. Mainly because, you know, her dad made the Godfathers and that put her in the movies and she was in the Outsiders too, of course, and Rumblefish and then she was, you know, in Frankenweenie. Okay, cool. That's kind of fun. And the Godfathers again, blah, 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 you know, Phantom Menace, blah, blah, blah. It's all pretty cool. 
It's fine. And she was in What We Do in the Shadows? Is that, is that true? When was she in that? I can't believe I don't remember. I feel like I should remember that. But I guess it doesn't really matter. She is a phenomenal director who makes quiet films about real people dealing with stuff, young people dealing with stuff in an honest way. And all her films are really quiet and subtle. And they don't have like that much intensity going on with them. There's loud moments, but it's about like the quietness of life. And she's really good at like portraying that on screen. So we talked about all of those movies. Let's rank them. Now I've been watching these all. I've been keeping a rank as I've watched them. Of course, I will update my list when Priscilla comes out because I feel like it's going to be better for some people. So I'm going to rank Lick the Star, The Virgin Suicides, Lost in Translation, Marie Antoinette, Somewhere, The Bling Ring, The Beguiled, and On the Rocks. That's eight movies. We'll start with eight and then go up to number one. So at number eight, I have Lick the Star, a very good short film outing. Uh, if she wanted to do something of that concept again, I could see that working better than some of the other movies. Number seven, Lost in Translation. It's not my vibe. I couldn't really get into it or connect with it, but it's a pretty good movie nonetheless. Number six, The Bling Ring. Cool kids, weird vibes. But it's a great movie and kind of fun. All of these movies, I would give seven out of tens, like seven out of ten and above. That's where I'd put them. Number five, On the Rocks. Love Rashida Jones in that. Number four, Somewhere. This one works for me more than Lost in Translation. I could see that being the reverse for some people. Number three, The Beguiled, a phenomenal movie that had me screaming in excitement. Number two, The Virgin Suicides, a fantastic, a fantastic outing as a first-time filmmaker. And number one on my ranking of Sofia Coppola is Marie Antoinette. A very good movie that I am not doing justice by talking about it. It's phenomenal. And that's Sofia Coppola. She's great. A lot of cool stuff. And her daughter even made that really cool TikTok about like, you know, that girl. It's like, I got, I got grounded because I like chartered a helicopter to see my friend from camp. So now I'm going to cook spaghetti or something. It's fun. So cool. And they had she had to like delete that TikTok. But hey, another generation of filmmakers on the horizon. And Priscilla looks to be another classic from the director. So as we go further down into Sophia's career, she's only 52. So she could make a lot more movies. And we'll be talking about all of them on this channel for as long as I'm doing this. And I will continue to update and rank Sophia Coppola's work. Because so far, no misses. And that's really damn cool. So thank you all for watching this episode of The Geek Wave. Be sure to like and subscribe to the channel. As always, you can check me out on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. And as always, I will catch you in the next one. Have fun. Stay safe. Good luck.